Welcome to Makeup Lessons for Life. I'm your host, Sharon Braxton. Thanks for joining us. You picked a great day to tune in because we have a very special guest today whose story I know is going to bless and inspire you and remind you just how faithful God is to restore those things we feel have been lost. But before I introduce our our guest, I'd like to introduce my co-host, dear friend, and executive producer of the show, Peggy Frazier O'Connor. Hi, my friend Sharon. Hi, Peggy. This is going to be a great day. Great interviews. Yes. I am so excited to introduce to you my precious friend, Angela. I met Angela and have had the opportunity to be uh, a prayer partner in the work that she is now doing. And I'm not going to spoil your introduction of who she is, but to me, she is a representation of her name. She is an angel. She is sent from the Lord. She has mighty work to do. And when I told her once that I felt that when I looked at her, what I saw was the Bride of Christ with some serious combat boots on. So she takes territory for the kingdom, and I'm just honored to call her my friend, and I'm going to let you introduce the amazing Miss Angela. Well, our special guest today is Texas Senator Angela Paxton. She has represented District 8 in the Texas Senate since January 2019, and she is the wife of Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Senator Paxton is a former secondary math teacher and school guidance counselor for more than 20 years, thus making her the first educator elected to the Texas Senate in over two decades. The mother of four is a stalwart leader and an unwavering voice on pro-life issues, including adoption, foster care, and preventing human trafficking. Her dedication to these issues stems from her own personal experiences, growing up from humble beginnings as an adopted child herself. In today's segment called The Gift of Life, You will hear her inspiring story of how God's love, graciousness, and favor covered her from birth, through her adolescent years, and continue to cover her today. Her journey has been filled with unique and meaningful personal experiences that equip her to make a difference today. And her story is a true testament to God's power to restore those precious things that seem lost to us. Senator Paxton, I know your schedule is so busy. You're always on the go. So thank you so much for taking time to join us and sit down in our makeup chair. Well, Sharon and Peggy, to both of you, I am so uh, excited to spend this time with you guys today, and um, please just call me Angela. Okay. Uh, but thank you for the opportunity to, to share what God has done in my life. Well, the well, honor. The yeah, honor well, is first ours. of all, congratulations. Yes. Congratulations you. yes, on yes, your yes. new accomplishment. We'd like to thank you for your willingness to serve this district in um, Austin, and I can definitely relate because my first position as an attorney after passing the Texas bar was to work at the uh, legislature, and I worked for Senator Kent Caperton, who was out of Bryan College Station. So I remember how busy everything is, but it was such a rewarding experience, and I just want to congratulate you again. Well, I can imagine that uh, that was a very rewarding experience. And you know, I've got two daughters who are Aggies, and so I bet it was a very interesting experience (laughs) representing all those Aggies as well. It really was, because I'm from Louisiana, so I didn't know much about the whole Aggie thing. I'm from uh, New uh, Jersey, uh, so I'm totally out of it. (laughs) 
Well, your story of how you entered the world of politics is very intriguing. You and your husband lived and raised four children in McKinney, Texas for over two decades. And while you were working as a secondary math teacher and a school counselor, you were assisting your husband, I know, in, in his political campaigns, House of Representatives, Senate, and eventually the Attorney General. And that spans like 17 years of political uh, life. But how did you move from the position of assisting the candidate to becoming the candidate? <laughs> well, it's one of those things I, I really didn't ever see coming, honestly, and I like so much in my life. And, uh, you know, Ken and I started dating at Baylor and uh, when we were students there. And uh, he had always been interested in politics. Uh, he was student body president there, and he saw that. Um, and, and really felt, I think, a calling to make a difference in that way. And uh, I always tell people, you know, he was just a student body president when I met him, and now he's the attorney general. I think I did a good job. With him, you know? <laughs> the woman behind there the man. There you go. There you go. But, but I've always believed that, that it mattered to, um, to get behind people that shared your values, that were going to fight for the things that that I believed mattered and I just never saw myself as that person but I was was 150% behind helping Ken do that and of course uh, through the years um, you know that took a lot of uh, shapes and forms but uh, you know our kids kind of grew up in that that climate and um, I, I tell people never in my wildest dreams or darkest nightmares did I think uh, I would run for office myself but <laughs> Suddenly, uh, in the fall of 17, uh, the weekend that we took our youngest to college, in fact, down, down at A&M, um, I started getting phone calls at the end of the second week of school uh, from folks asking me if I would think about running for office. And uh, my initial response was no, because it was something I'd just not ever thought about uh, doing. It was a very unique set of circumstances uh, that kind of brought that into into being. But um, from Friday to Monday, a lot happened. And uh, talked with a lot of people, prayed a lot. Um, Ken was very supportive. My kids were very supportive. Uh, and people that I felt like mattered in this community. Um, and I really respected their opinion. Uh, all of those things together, I uh, walked into my principal's office Monday morning and I said, I think I'm supposed to quit my job. I think I'm supposed to run for the Texas Senate. What was her response? Well, it was, it's a him. Oh, and, uh, oh. But he, oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Him. That's okay. It's usually the other way we guess, isn't it? But um, no, he, he said, everything was fine on Friday. What happened? You know, <laughs> it was uh, only now, now the beginning of the third week of school. And uh, I kind of walked him through the, the, the events of the weekend. But he, he and I worked together for about six years at that time and he said Angela I always thought you were supposed to do something like this Aww. go change the world Wow! and uh, could you please stay until back to school night next Monday because that <laughs> would really help me out a lot so I did I, I figure I owed him that much but uh, anyway that was that was how it began well you know how difficult is it to run for office as a believer and stay true to your faith you know there there really are two parts. There's the running for office and then there's the serving in office. And we're very blessed uh, here. Um, I've just been very blessed in my life to have been surrounded by people who are strong believers, very rooted in their faith, and also uh, highly value the need to have 
people with strong Christian values in public service. And so, um, you know, I was surrounded by people like that when I was running. Of course, you know, when you're elected, you represent everyone, um, not just people that think like you do in any way, whether that's faith or politically or, or anything. But, um, you know, we're very blessed to have uh, a lot of folks in the legislature who are strong believers and um, you know I think you find those people and you work together but it's also important uh, to remember that uh, you know in Galatians it says the only thing that matters is faith working itself expressing itself by love and so that's kind of the way I've tried to address things because uh, a lot of people think of Christianity. I think I guess maybe a lot of people who are not Christians or have been had bad experiences maybe with people mm -hmm. uh, that are Christians in the past uh, or what they perceive as Christians. Uh, a lot of people think Christianity is a big hammer, and uh, it is not. It is the love of Christ. Absolutely. Um, it is faith expressing itself through love. And so, um, anyway, I've been I real, love that. real blessed that to beautiful. have people around me to work work with me on that. Well, you know, you have a motto that I love. Here to listen, learn, and lead. Explain that, please. I love that. Well, thank you. Um, you know, that really came to me um, as I had stepped into the role uh, of, a, of a senator early uh, this this year, actually, January. And I was, I was at a conference listening to uh, someone give opening remarks, and they were welcoming the people to this conference. And, and as they finished, they said, um, you know, I hope you'll listen and I hope you'll learn. And in my mind, the third word came in, and I hope you'll lead. And I felt like it was almost God saying, Angela, this is your mission. And, uh, you know, I think it, it kind of describes my background, listening as a counselor, um, learning. I mean, I, I think what makes for a good teacher is to be a good learner. And then leading, you, in, in that order, right? Listen, learn, lead. But as I thought about it, the thing I love about that motto is I literally can't think of any area of my life where that doesn't apply, where that's not a good roadmap. Mm -hmm. um, spiritually, isn't that that's the right. way? Yeah. Um, listen first. Listen to the Word of God. Listen to Scripture. Read it. Immerse yourself in that. Listen to the Spirit as He leads. Listen to the voices uh, that God sends to you uh, through circumstances and, and other people. Who are believers, even non-believers, so that as you're, if you're watchful, that's what it means to listen, to observe, and be watchful, and you know, to learn means to be willing to change based on what you are encountering, what you're listening and, and hearing, and then of course, taking all of that and stepping out and being willing to lead, which means bringing people with you. Sometimes it means you step out alone. Um, it can mean a lot of different things. Being just a good example to follow. Uh, that's what I used to tell students. You know, to, to be a leader is to be someone whose example is worth following. Absolutely. That is, that is terrific. So, you know, when you walk into a room, this is true for anyone, when you walk into a room, it is no longer the same. And are you making it better or worse because you change you change something and of you course you bring your atmosphere with you you do and and I think that's that's so important to remember and and as believers we bring 
the presence of Christ with us because we're his temple and he, he dwells in us. And, and so, his presence will change the atmosphere absolutely. in the room when you bring it. You know, in addition to being the first educator to be elected to the Senate in over two decades, you also accomplished a couple of other firsts. What were those? It's interesting. Well, it is. Um, um, some people might know this, but um, the senator... Two, two senators back, I guess I should say, in Senate District 8 was my husband, Ken. Wow. And uh, he, he served there before running for Attorney General. And uh, we were real blessed to be served by Van Taylor, who's now serving us in Congress um, in between. But um, as I understand it, we're the first couple, uh, I'm the first spouse to follow and serve in the same seat as their previous spouse. This gets kind of convoluted as I say it. Um, without the first spouse dying right. or, or, or being deployed or something like that. Um, so I'm the first spouse to be elected in my own right to the seat that um, my spouse served in uh, earlier. It's also interesting um, you know, the Senate, in the Senate in Texas, we have four-year terms, mm -hmm. but we redistrict every 10 years, and obviously four doesn't go into 10 evenly. So what happens at the beginning of a 10-year uh, redistricting phase is uh, all, the senators draw, and a, half of them, they're 31, but uh, about half of them draw a two-year term on the front end, and half of them get a four-year term on the, on the front end. So some people get... Two four four, and some get four four two. Um, so, in this seat in Senate District Eight, the the senator two back drew the two year term on the front end, which um, I'm on the end of that, so a four year term. And the reason I'm aware of that is because the senator who held the two year term is my husband, um, and oh he reminds goodness. me of this frequently. <laughs> um, and he says, "You're welcome." And so uh, anyway, but we. We also, I think, uh, are a, another first, um, as, as I understand it again, um, with Ken serving in statewide office and then me in the legislature, I don't, I don't know that there's ever been a couple uh, simultaneously serving uh, that way. Now, in Collin County, we've got a lot of elected um, couples, actually, uh, judicial in particular, that I can, can think of. But as far as a statewide and a legislator, I think, I think we may so be the neat. first. But, you know, how challenging is it for you to maintain your lives and your marriage while both of you are serving office, especially since you're based in McKinney, Plano, Allen, Richardson, and your husband is based in Austin. So how do you make that work? Well, that's something we're in the process of kind of figuring out. You know, we started um, having to kind of work through that when I started running um, in the fall of 17 and campaigns. It's not like there's a regular rhythm uh, to them. And, and honestly, there's not really a regular rhythm to either of our schedules, even now that we're not in session. And so I think it's something we're we're trying to work together on and understand of course we have we both have staff that are helping us do that and um, Ken and I talked about it a little bit this morning because he's heading off one direction and I'm heading off another and um, you know I think the thing is what we have to remember is no one's going to do that for us mm -hmm. um, you know my staff is helping me be the best senator I can be and his is helping him be the best attorney general he can be but it's on us to watch out for our marriage and of course I've got supportive staff helping me do that as well and um, but but I think it, it matters that you know on a that we consistently 
try to travel where we can together. Um, I, I think our schedulers have a pretty complicated job. They had a pretty complicated job uh, independently of us us together, but I, uh, it is it gets kind of kind of dicey sometimes. But, but you we, know, I hear what you're saying though. It, it, whoever you are, whatever your careers are, it has to be a priority. Yeah. Your marriage has to be a priority, and you have to sit down and talk and plan. Yeah, I mean, there are lots of couples that both travel. Um, but even if you're not both traveling, life will take over your schedule. And I think that's one of the things that that we're just trying to learn what that means for us and um, to to sit down and remember what our priorities are, that they're, you know, our relationship with God first, our relationship with each other and our family uh, second, and then the work that, we'll call, that we're called to. That is true. Well, we're going to segue now. I know that you are passionate about pro-life issues like adoption, foster care, and human trafficking because of your own personal experiences. And I think this is a good time for us to segue into your personal story. So why don't we talk a little bit first about the circumstances surrounding your birth. Well, thank you, Sharon. You know, um, I was born on Valentine's Day. I think that is so neat. Well, you know, I always liked it. It was always a lot of fun uh, to me. Now, part of that uh, was a little bit shaped by my parents. Well, not so much of it actually was shaped by my parents. But uh, specifically, my mom and dad told me, you know, the, the store's decorated for my birthday <laughs> when I was growing up. And I believed it probably for a lot longer than I should have. Um, I told my own kids that for a long time, too. And, and I worked did as best I could but yeah I mean I was born on Valentine's Day in 1963 in uh, New Braunfels Texas and I did have some unusual circumstances surrounding my birth I was an unplanned pregnancy and uh, I'm an adopted child and my mom and dad uh, came and got me on the 15th and I've lived with them all of our lives together I have a little brother who is also adopted a uh, little brother who's 54. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that. I have a little brother, 50, but he's still a little brother. Right, right, right. Uh, but, but, you know, I grew up in a family um, with parents who were not able to have children of their own, and they were very intentional parents. I think they always saw um, having, having us as something that might not have happened, and they wanted to do it well, and they were the kind of parents who took their vacations around, you know, our, our mission trips at church and all of that. Uh, my dad coached a lot of my teams when I was growing up. And, um, and I know he worked for Bell Helicopter. Yeah, my dad uh, worked for Bell Helicopter. My mom was a teacher's aide. Mm -hmm. um, neither of my parents graduated from college. My dad took classes. He was always kind of working toward things that would help him, um, you know, get promotions at work and that sort of thing. But he worked in in uh, IT. I remember, in fact, my dad telling me, Angela, you should always work in computers because you'll always work in the air conditioning. And uh, <laughs> that was at a time when, you know, of course our phones do more than the rooms full of computers with vacuum tubes, you know, but it was really, they were hot and they kept them in air conditioning. And a lot of people that were my dad's peers uh, didn't work in air conditioning necessarily. And um, so, you know, it was really important to them to give me and my brother the opportunities that that they wanted us to, to be able to have so we could be successful in life. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. Yes. Um, went to Baylor University on scholarship and a lot of sacrifice on the part of my parents. Well, Angela, I want to go back to um, the birth just for a second. Your birth mother did not get a chance to see you 
correct, after birth, to even know whether you were a girl or a boy, a decision was just made to help her, right? To move sure, on. sure. And, you know, I was not aware of a lot about my birth mother's story. Um, it was a private adoption. Really, all that I knew was that my birth mother had been a college student and um, that she'd chosen life for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I knew that I, I had not ever intended to look for my uh, birth mom. I knew from mainly conversations with my father that that was a that was a difficult subject for my mom. My mom always struggled with as, as fantastic a mom as she was. She was amazing, um, but she really struggled with. Did my brother and I really see her as our real mom? You know, that mm-hmm. was a that was a place I can of, of difficulty. I can, I, I can too. Because I was going to ask you though, did they ever sit you down and actually say, Angela, you're adopted? You know, I don't remember that. I just remember always knowing I was adopted, and so I think they just did it very organically um, in the course of life. Um, the same way that other kids know they're the natural children of their parents. I knew. I just remember growing up knowing that I was adopted and you know they would tell me Angela we chose you we chose you and your your birth mom loved you because she wanted you to have a family and um, wanted you know good things for your life but see that's so good because that's keeping you from having low self-esteem or or feeling like you're not wanted Mm -hmm. now how old were you when you accepted Christ I was eight so I grew up in this in this amazing family. We went to uh, to church every Sunday. You know, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Wednesday night. Young um, people's meeting. Everything, right? <laughs> everything. And uh, yes, I, I came to know the Lord early on. And I remember uh, listening to the sermon where um, I just felt moved in my heart. I'm like, I want... I want to follow Christ, and I want to follow Him all my life. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I remember thinking when I was a kid how boring my life was because, like, nothing really weird had ever happened to me, and I just didn't know the rest of the story, I guess, at the time. No, it's called being blessed. Mm -hmm. I was very blessed. You already mentioned that you were the first person in your family to graduate from college and that you met your husband there, but then you moved on and got your master's mm-hmm. in education and you married and started a family and, and all of that. And then fast forward to now you're living with your family. And I wanted to talk about this event, the pro-life event oh, that yeah. um, your husband was a part of. And he comes to you and he asks you to sing. Yeah, and this was before he had run for office or anything like that. But he was very engaged in uh, a group of guys that were um, just wanting to make a difference in the community and engaged in different causes. And one of them was helping get a pro-life organization have their gala in in Dallas. And he was involved on the leadership of that. So he comes home from a meeting with this team and he says, hey, you're going to sing at this pro-life event, Ange, and uh, I grew up singing in church, and right. and uh, I had had a, you know, I play a little guitar, a little piano, do a little songwriting, and, and, and all that I had enjoyed doing, led worship at my church, and um, anyway, I said, well, what am I going to sing? And he's like, oh, I don't know, I'm sure you'll find something, you know, and I'm like, well, okay, um, I guess I will, and, and so I tried to, I tried to find songs that were 
pro-life songs. I'm like, is there such a genre as pro-life songs? And it turns out that there actually are some songs, but most of the things I found were written from the perspective of um, a, a woman contemplating an unplanned pregnancy. And that's not my story. I'm, I'm the child, right? I'm, I'm the unplanned child. And so I just started praying about it. And anyway, I ended up writing a song and I called it a thank you song. Um, and I actually wrote it on Easter Sunday. And what really struck me was the parallel that I just suddenly saw between what Christ had done to give me eternal life, that he'd laid down his life, that he had endured suffering and shame um, with no guarantee that his gift would be received or treasured. Um, but he did it to give us life and offered it as a free gift. And then I thought about my birth mom, how she had done much the same. She had endured, who knows, in 1963, the what it would have been like to have been carrying a child and at that time and not be married. And um, I just, I knew it wouldn't have been easy. And then to, to uh, have this child go through all of that, hoping that life would be good for this child. Uh, but to go through it to give me uh, to give me life, uh, a chance to live. And so you wanted to thank her. Yes, and I yeah. called it a thank you song. Um, mm -hmm. And in, in my handwritten notes, uh, when I when I wrote the song, I wrote it kind of all at once. Um, I actually put in parentheses for Linda. And, of course, I had not ever met my birth mom, and I, I told you that um, I hadn't really ever planned to look for her because I knew it would be hard for my mom. And, actually, my dad had passed away at, by this time, and so my mom was by herself and had really thrown herself into being a grandmother, and she was also a great grandmother, just like she was a great mom. But I just knew that would be hard for her. And, and for the sake of my curiosity, I never wanted to put her through the, mm -hmm. the angst of that. So um, anyway, you know, you kind of fast forward a couple of years and Ken had actually uh, run for office for the um, Texas House of Representatives and had won. We were actually coming up on his first general election when I got a letter, a registered letter in the mail and uh, didn't recognize the address, but I opened it and it said, Dear Angela, I am a birth mother looking for her child, oldest child who was born on February 14, 1963 in New Braunfels, Texas. Oh my goodness. Uh, I That's was a amazing. college student at the time. And oh. uh, I was shocked to get the letter. I read through, but I was, I don't know that I've ever been more surprised in my life to get down to the very bottom of the letter. Um, basically she said, you know, I, if you don't want me to to, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to create trouble in your life. Um, I would love to have a relationship with you if you're open to that. But if you don't want to hear from me again, I'll respect that. And um, she gave me some contact information so that I could contact her if, if I wanted to. But I get down to the bottom and it's, uh, it's signed, Linda. Now, see, when I hear that, I think back to this song because you just, I assume you just picked a name. I think I just wanted to give this this special lady a name but what i'm saying is the holy spirit named the song yes your yes. mind didn't name it you didn't have a name the holy spirit did it but here's my thing it's been 40 years because i think you were about 40 when I you was got this just on yeah just on the eve of my 40th birthday really and so there's been a lot of living that's happened so this is a lot to take in what was your immediate reaction to the letter well when i read the letter um i <clears throat> I thought about it and I thought I've always wanted to be able to say thank you this may be my chance um, of course I called Ken and I said 
I just got a letter. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, you know, I've always wanted to be able to say thank you. Um, but of course, I need to talk to mom first. And so, um, you know, that's what we decided to do. And, and Ken said, whatever you want to do, Ange, you've got my 100% support uh, to help you any way that I can. What did your kids think? Well, my kids were three, five, seven, and nine at the oh, time. Oh, wow. And actually, it's kind of funny. This was in August um, of, oh, I guess, oh, oh 02, maybe. And uh, anyway, it was funny. People have asked me that, you know, how was this for your kids? Well, my kids knew I was adopted. Mm -hmm. and so they had a place for all of this. But I got to tell you, I mean, all of them, it's like an, an extra grandmother right before Christmas. Are you kidding me? You know? Um, Grandmothers, I have this sign on my refrigerator for my mother. It says, grandmothers are fun and they buy you stuff. <laughs> Another true, grandmother is a good thing. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Actually, Tucker also said, what should we call her and he was our nine-year-old he's our oldest what should we call her mom and I'm just like well I don't really know and he, he said well what about grand birth mother anyway <laughs> so anyway um, but but what we ended up doing uh, you know first I needed to talk to mom and uh, we went and had lunch with my mom the next week and she said I, I remember her saying you know it seems like I remember her name being Linda oh, wow. um, but she she said you know Angie I, I think I think it it would be important for you to meet her, and um, so we went forward with that, and with Did my mom's she blessing. Think that she could be involved. Or well, it was it was interesting. You know, her initial response was, you know, I support you to do this, mm -hmm. and um, a few days later, she called me and she said, Angela, this, I, I am a bad person. And Aww. I said, what do you mean, Mom? And she said, I don't want this to happen. She said, she goes, actually, I want I want it for you. I just don't want to know about it. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was it was kind of interesting. You know, of course, I, I did. I met Linda with my mom's blessing. Um, that had to be exciting. This is your mom. Yeah. Well, we invited mom. her to come stay with us for the for the weekend. So the first time I'd ever met her, you know. And, you know, you always clean the house when your mom's coming mm -hmm. to visit, but especially if you've never met her before, right? <laughs> so, um, but it was wonderful. I played the song for her. Oh, and um, What did she think of that? What did she think of that? We cried. And, I um, bet you did. And then she said, will you sing it again? Oh. And uh, it's it's been very special. Uh, you know, that was the beginning of our relationship together. And uh, in the meantime, Mom was struggling. Mm -hmm. And and I, I kept wishing Mom would meet Linda because um, I really felt Linda's a very non-threatening, beautiful, gentle person. And I felt like Mom's fear was very misplaced. But it was what it was. And so, you know, we prayed for Mom. And then all of a sudden, about... Two years later, Mom just, she said, hey, I was thinking about getting my hair cut kind of different before I meet Linda. I'm like, where'd that come from, you know? And, uh, the Holy I, Spirit. That's right. 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 And so she got her hair cut, and uh, it turned out Linda was coming to my women's retreat uh, about, I don't know, maybe it was six weeks or so later. And so I said, well, Mom, she's going to come to this, this uh, retreat. And Mom said, well, then that's the place where we'll meet. And she said, we should share a room. And I thought, oh my the alien goodness. has come and entered my mother's body. I mean, that is a big change. That's bold, isn't it? I want you to meet her, but I don't know if I can be involved to now saying we can all share a room together. Yeah, yeah. I just see the Holy Spirit working in there. Let me take you back just for a second before we move into that very beautiful story that you're going to tell. When you met your mom and now you're seeing her face to face, mm -hmm. 
what is that like for you? I mean, what are you feeling? Was there an, an immediate connection between the two of you? You know, I, I just remember feeling grateful. I just remember feeling grateful. And I said, it's an honor to meet you. And I've always wanted to say thank you. And of course, the kids were running out, and you know, we all we all met Linda at the same time uh, when she pulled up to the house. Um, I do remember telling Ken, I I knew that my birth mom would have a red car. I just always have had that inside of me, right? You know. <laughs> but it it is kind of funny. I mean, there there I met I met my extended family about a week later, and. Um, you know, it's it's been interesting as we've all gotten to know each other. Um, my birth family saying, "Wow, it's so crazy to watch the two of you because they see her in me, even though we weren't around each other for forty years." You and know? that's what I was wondering. Yeah. When you did you see similarities? I didn't, but other people did. I think it, there are certain things that are hard to see about yourself, mm-hmm. right? But Ken saw them, and oh. and my. My extended family, my birth family, they saw them. And uh, they would actually comment sometimes about, Angela, when you just did that, that was so much like Linda. And, and Ken would say, you know, oh, Linda, when, when you did that, it was so much like Angela. And, and yet, you know, mannerisms and gestures and the things that you actually, I always had thought you pick up from being around someone. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of fascinating in that sense, right? I mean, just kind of the wiring. Um, who knows where one thing stops and the other starts. And then I'm curious, on your birth mother, on Linda's end, what is she thinking? Do you think she was surprised at how open you were to just receive her in after all these years? Or, You know, I, I think she was um, in a certain sense, but I think we had that in common about each other. Um, when I met my extended family, my siblings and my cousins and my, my grandmother, Linda's mom, um, I remember we drove to the Houston area and, and we had a, they actually had a birthdays party for me for all the birthdays they had missed oh wow that is so sweet um, because you have you have um, you're the first of five of five right I have four siblings and so um, and you know all of them said to me at one time or another we've been praying that the Lord would bring you back to us and um, and I think that all of us were just um, you know that it was just very special there was just an openness I don't there was just an openness of receiving each other you know what this speaks to me about is the power of persistence in prayer. You know, they've been praying for you, I'm sure, for a long time, not knowing when or if this day would ever come. And then it does. And the beautiful part of how the Holy Spirit will orchestrate these events to prove that when you do pray, He hears, but He works things out in time. His timing. His timing. Well, I want to now, let's go back to the retreat. I just had to get that history first. Mm -hmm. Back to the retreat that we can't believe that your your mom Anita is open to meet your birth mom Linda. So right. tell me what happened at the retreat. Well, not and not only open Sharon, right? I mean, she actually initiated, right? Oh, that, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's even, I mean, even more than I would ever have expected. Um, I remember saying, "Mom, we don't have to all share the same room. That's you know, don't put that on yourself." And and uh, I said, I don't think she would feel like that was. Um, you know, required or or any anything, and, and Mom said, Angela, 
for us to stay together and her to have to stay in another room by herself, that would be so rude. I raised you better than this. Wow. I was thinking, this is one of those times, like you remember growing up and your mom would say, go clean your room because it was a, a reflection on them. Your behavior is a reflection on them. I was like, I'm 40 and it's still this way, you know? Uh, but, but that's what we did. And um, when Linda got to the hotel, she had a dozen red roses with her. And uh, mom and I had gotten there a little earlier. I was involved in the retreat committee. And so we'd already gotten checked into the room. Mom was up there and it was a little bit like a reality TV show. Uh, <laughs> all of my friends there at the retreat were watching for Linda. They knew this reunion was going to happen. And so someone came running in. They said, Angela, Linda's here. So I went and, and met Linda in the lobby of this hotel where we were having the uh, retreat. And uh, she and I walked up. Uh, over went up the elevator and then went into the hotel room um, Linda and I with uh, the this dozen red roses that Linda had with her and you know a, a standard hotel room set up where you've got two double beds with a little uh, table in between them and anyway opened the door and mom was sitting on the far bed facing the door and um, anyway we stepped in and I said mom um, this is Linda, and Linda, this is my mom, Anita. And uh, Linda walked over and put these roses on the table between the, the beds, and then did what I will remember and treasure all my life. I watched Linda kneel down in front of my mom, and she said, Anita, thank you. Thank you for giving Angela what I couldn't give her. Thank you for giving her a life. And we all cried. And then my mom looked at Linda and said, No, Linda, thank you. Thank you for giving her what I could not give her. Thank you for giving her life. And, um, you know, at that moment, I saw so much come together. I saw my mom, who had been afraid of this experience, really kind of all her life. Um, I saw this healing and I saw these two women bond and in fact they became friends um, Linda came and stayed with my mom when we went on vacation uh, a year or so later because it, my mom was living with us her health had been declining and it just wasn't safe for her to stay by herself and I remember Linda texting me when we were driving to the airport I, I, I said thanks for coming and staying with mom and, and she said it's an honor to serve your mom and uh, as I understood it, they painted the town red. They had a great time. Aww. But my mom passed away um, actually Thanksgiving five years ago. Uh, we're coming up on the fifth anniversary of her passing and going home to be with the Lord. Um, and Linda came to my mom's funeral, and she brought a dozen red roses. And um, I'm just so thankful, so blessed to have the... Um, the beautiful influence of both of these women in my life. And I know as you continue to spend time with Linda, you learned some things. I mean, you did learn. It was very difficult for her to give you up. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't really know exactly the story uh, of how it came to be that I was adopted. Um, I do remember when I first got the letter kind of thinking, you know, I, I have this idealized story of what happened mm -hmm. uh, in my mind and I, I realized that you know meeting Linda um, would maybe have its 
it's uh, ups and downs as far as what that story really looked like. And um, and it was a it was a difficult time for Linda. Um, you know, as as you had mentioned, um, you know, Linda actually the way that this all played out again. This is 1963. It's hard to imagine it happening like this today. But uh, she didn't know if she'd had a boy or girl. They didn't they didn't tell her. Uh, she didn't see me or hold me. And that was a decision her parents made because they felt like that would help her move on. Um, and so I think they made it out of love. I mean, to me, it it, it does speak to the need for uh, a woman making a decision like that to have ownership in it so that she can um, kind of kind of own it and move forward, really move forward. It's hard to move forward in things when you don't have ownership in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a hard thing for Linda. But, um, you know, it was it, it was a sweet thing. I, I got to meet my grandmother, uh, Linda's mom, and it turns out that her name, Maddie, M-A-T-T-I-E, was the name we had given um, our third child, M-A-T-T-I-E. It's an unusual name. It's an unusual spelling. That was a family name. And um, I mean, you just can't make this up. I know. It's the Holy Spirit. You know what? Also, too, Sharon, that I see in this is the scripture that says, the steps of a righteous man, and it also means woman, steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered of the Lord. It, it just astonishes me when I think in my mind how many things in my life I think are random. You know, you think things are random. And and is there really random ever with the Lord? You know, there's not. When you he has a plan, he's sovereign. And I tell you in my own life and looking at yours but also in my own life, I am so comforted by the sovereignty of God. That that word sovereign has just become very very real to me. I'd say within the last maybe maybe 8 years of my life. But when I see the sovereign hand of God move in my life and the lives of other people, it's comforting because I know that the God that holds the universe in place and the stars in place is intimately involved in every single aspect of my life and that's enough to make you weep but it's also a lot to make you praise mm -hmm. Absolutely. very very um very comforting very assuring and and you know i think it is true it's easy to look at our lives and think things are random the fact is there's a lot more about us that we did not choose than that we chose i, I remember seeing a, a a quote one time and it said we make our choices and our choices make us and there's there's some truth to that yes but it's not the whole truth there's a lot more about us that we never chose um, that circumstances around us happened uh, other people's choices good and bad um, but that is not to say they're random they are ordered that's and, right and they they do have purpose and um yeah, I mean, and we, and we see that in Scripture. Right. And I wanted to say, I know you celebrate that Linda gave her life to the Lord. She did. In fact, um, she gave her life to the Lord long before I met her. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful story. Y'all should interview her sometime. I'm telling you, she has an amazing story of uh, the Lord, um, her... I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. But she literally had a mountaintop experience where the Lord said to her, "Take my hand, and I will walk you through this." And it was the beginning of her coming back to the Lord. Um, you know, when I when I met her, uh, I, I remember telling her uh, because she she's had a, a very eventful life, and um, and you know, 
she is someone I think if you asked her she would say you know there there are a lot of things I wish in, in a certain sense I wish I had chosen differently and yet I know that God redeems everything when we give when we give those things to him and she's seen that in her life and and she's been a great encouragement to me to uh, do that with the things that are hard with the things that are broken with the things that are not the choices that I wish I had made or other people had made whatever it is um, to know that no we we serve a redeeming God and even the worst possible thing you can imagine is not beyond the arm of God to redeem. That's right. Well, you know, just like Peggy said, Angela, your story, it just has God's hand all over it. It's like he's taking all these details and weaving them together in a tapestry, all the intricate details, even the hard times. He's taking those and it's still working it all together for your good. And I know through all of this, you've had scriptures that you've leaned on or clung to, what are some of the scriptures that are part of your fabric of your life? Well, I, I think you, you reference one right there, Romans 8, 28. Uh, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And that doesn't say all things that happen are good. It just says he works all things for your good. When you're, when you're called to his purpose. And, you know, when... We all act in ways that are not according to God's purpose. But then if we're, if we're sensitive to the voice of God in our life, to the love of God in our life, and we, we look up and we say, God, I have gotten myself into a place that I shouldn't be. Um, or other people's choices have put me in a place where I don't want to be. And God says, that's okay. I can use all of this. Mm -hmm. I can use all of this. And you know, another another verse that um, I've I've been uh, I've connected to over over the years is uh, Psalm sixteen six. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. And I guess I thought about that a lot uh, as an adopted child. The lines have fallen for me. I didn't choose those lines. Um, others chose those lines. My parents, um, my family, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. Uh, again, even my own choices sometimes. But, but things come around us, circumstances just happen. But even in the, in the very hard things, and you know what, my life is not perfect. Um, you know, I sometimes I, I look and I think on, on the outside it all looks you know, like with with so many people, you look at it and you think, wow, look at that. That's all so nice and neat and um, put together. And, you know, I've got, I have deep pain in my life. I have um, difficult things that I deal with, just like we all do. And, you know, we, we can't look at each other and see those things. But even so, because of the sovereignty of God, as you said, Peggy, I know I know God is working all of those things for good. Someone told me the other day, time and truth walk hand in hand. Time and truth walk hand in hand. And so even if something is very hard now, I can trust God's word that he's working it together for my good, for the good of his glorious kingdom, for the honor and glory of his name. 
And looking back, I will say, I wouldn't have had it any other way. That's what I was thinking. All while you were talking, sure, you know, if you had had Linda in your life from the very beginning, that would have been great. But I thought, I bet Angela's thinking I wouldn't have had it any other way. You've got two wonderful women in your life. But I have to tell you, the scripture that I think of when I hear your story is Jeremiah, first chapter, fifth verse. And I want to read it from the Amplified. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I consecrated you to myself as my own. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And when I read that, I think, unplanned or not, Linda being fearful, not feeling like she could handle having a child at that time, those are the facts, yes. But the Spirit of God was in her womb from the very beginning, choosing you, consecrating you, and preparing you for today. You are appointed. Yes, you were elected, but you're, you're appointed and you're representing a district and you're changing the world around you. And that was a calling and that was a destiny that you had on you as a seed in Linda's womb. And it is just beautiful. And the other thing, God, he just dropped it down in my spirit while I was preparing for this show that God can turn our biggest fears into our biggest blessings. And so it's like Linda probably had this big fear. This isn't planned. I'm in college. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can do this. And that ends up turning into her one of her biggest blessings. She got reunited with you, loves you today, and she probably can't even imagine life without you now. And then your mom, Anita's biggest fear was losing you, possibly, you know, to your birth mother. But then it got turned to one of her biggest blessings because she got a lifetime friend. So it's amazing. Peggy, this is a lot to take in, but what are some of your thoughts? Well, first of all, Angela, what I want to say to you is the name of this show, as everyone knows, is Makeup Lessons for Life. And the idea is we get to sit in the chair, and if we will submit to God, He does the makeover on our lives. He does the transformation from glory to glory within us. The deal is we have to be willing to sit in the chair. And we have to be willing to submit to that process. And uh, what I look at when we have guests on our show, that people um, come and they're vulnerable and they share their heart, and they share their story, is that we believe that we are all living epistles. That, you know, we read the scriptures, you know, and in five chapters you, you read about the entire story of David's life, but you forget that these are real human beings living that out in natural human moment-to-moment time, and it's a journey. Years and years. Yes, and, and it's a process, all the emotional values that they're going through, the struggles. And very often I feel that because of the nature of sometimes media and the way it works, uh, you get segments of time, you know, like 20 minutes to tell somebody's story or whatever. And we, we don't get a chance to dig deep in someone's life and say, okay, this is where I was. This is how I felt. This is what I am, am now. This is the future of where I see myself because we don't really have that kind of time. And so we're grateful to you to sit in our chair 
and to share your life, the life of your family, and to be so open and transparent. But one of the things we try to do for listeners is to get them to understand that there's a takeaway from your life. Just like we have takeaway in Scripture when we read about the Apostle Paul or all the different heroes of the faith. You know, there's a takeaway from your life. So, in your life as my friend and as this precious person that has come to mean so much to me, um, I would say it's wrapped up in the two words that that we chose as far as the title of your segment, Gift and Life. Gift is a word that speaks to me about you because the actual definition is a thing given willingly to someone without payment. It's a present. And I think about some people that I've known in my life that were adopted children and they've allowed bitterness to take over their lives because their perspective is very different than the one that you have chosen. You have chosen to see your life, your life literally as a present, as a gift from your adopted mother who could have chosen differently from the Lord. It's a gift. And so that makes me think of grace like you so beautifully articulated in the beginning. It was a gift from God, something he chose to give us, the grace of God. You have considered your birth a gift. You have considered the circumstances of your life that your adoptive parents gave you as their gift to you. And now, Angela, you are the gift. You are the gift to us. You are the guardian of the gift of life to others. You stand for life. You stand for the gift of life, protecting it, helping other people access it and have it. Your life is the gift to us. So we thank you, we bless you, and we celebrate all that God has done in your life and all that you are doing to give the gift of life to others. And what I'd like to ask you right now is, would you pray for anybody that's out there that may not truly understand that their life is no accident that before the foundations of the world, God chose for them to exist, and He has a good plan for them. Would you pray? I would be so honored. Thank you. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you have given each of us the opportunity to live. That you've given each of us the gift of life. in all of its messy, messy forms. Lord, you know, we know, that we are broken people. Sometimes because of the choices of others, sometimes because of our own choices. But Lord, none of that is beyond your arm to save to redeem. And Lord, we thank you that you sent your son precisely for that. Because we're broken, because we need your help, because we need um, your perspective to see that even in the difficult things, Lord, that we go through, that you can use that and harness that in our lives 
to help walk other people who are going through that difficult thing through. Father, perfect Father, giver of all good gifts, we thank you today that no person is an accident. And Lord, as someone who was, if that is true for me, how much more true it is for each person listening. Father, I thank you for Peggy, and I thank you for Sharon. And I thank you for their desire to um, open their hearts and their lives to others so that you may be displayed and so that the hope of Christ is available to all people. Father, it is in the name of your Son, Jesus, who has saved us and who keeps us saved and who is coming again to take us home that we pray. Amen. Angela, I have been so touched, and I know Peggy has been too, by your story, by your courage, by your faith. Thank you so much for joining us today. Sharon, thank you for the opportunity to just share a little bit about what God has done uh, in my life. And uh, Peggy, uh, as you were talking about a, a gift, I couldn't help but think about what a gift you've been to me. Um, we just met uh, in the back of church one Sunday. A friend introduced us, and I knew that uh, we weren't done. And uh, to, to be connected with you, Sharon, and the three of us know there's a whole other story there. We, we actually had all kinds of prior connections that we would never have imagined. But again, the Lord weaves everything together, he and does. He's working all things for good. Absolutely. Well, we are out of time for today. I hate that because this has been so good. But before we go, I want to remind you to pick up a copy of Peggy's book, Makeup Lessons, a testimony of prayer, healing, and redemption at the makeup counter. It's available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. We'd like to thank our recording engineer and editor, Scott Frazier, who is also a pastor, worship leader, and motivational speaker. Check out his website at nc3wilkesboro.com. That's W-I-L-K-E-S-B-O-R-O.com. We'd also like to thank saxophonist Tom Braxton, our assistant recording engineer, and the one who is responsible for all the original music you hear in the show. You can check out his smooth jazz at www.tombraxton.com. This is a show about the transformation in people's lives and the journey of life that we're all on. And there are lessons to be learned from one another. So please grab a girlfriend, a husband, a brother, anyone special in your life, and join us as we get real. And that's it for today. But until next time, please remember, don't be afraid to sit down in the makeup chair. Because God is going to give you the makeover of a lifetime. For Sharon and me. Bye now.